Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. so great to be with you, those of you here in the room, uh, also everyone joining online, Kingsgate Leicester and Kingsgate Cambridge, my church family, love you, miss you, look forward to being with you next week. And here we are in Philippians, week three in this letter, this wonderful celebration of community, this letter written by Paul to a church who are living out the plans and the purposes of God in radical partnership. And today Paul has a lesson for them and for us. And and he uses the medium of grammar. He uses the medium of grammar. Now, any, anyone like grammar? Yeah, I thought so. So gra- grammar's interesting, isn't it? Like, I still have problems with apostrophes. Like, take my surname, Chris Sharman, but when there's two of us, when there's Annabelle and myself, are we Sharmans, no apostrophe? Sharman apostrophe, yes, Sharman's apostrophe. So you don't know either. So I, so I just kind of navigate my way around by saying we're the Sharmen and just pluralize it that way. But, Grammar can be interesting. I take the the age-old classic, I before E. I before E except after C. But then I saw this online a couple of months ago. I before E except when your foreign neighbor, Keith, receives eight counterfeit beige slaves from feisty, caffeinated weightlifters. (laughs) And I look at that and I'm like, I before E just doesn't hold up. It's just there. It's crumbling before my very eyes. But, But in this passage, Paul gives us a grammar lesson that I believe holds up every single time. And and Paul's lesson is this, that if we are to become the women and men that God has called us to be, if we're to live out this life of radical partnership, of purpose, of adventure, then you comes before I. And then you comes before I. And and to make this point, Paul takes us to the place that's the best place to go in any church service, which is to Jesus. 
He takes us to Jesus. As we heard in that reading, there's this wonderful hymn, which commentators will say Paul has kind of lifted from somewhere else. Some might say stolen. Some might say a work of genius, incorporating it into his letter. But he's taken this hymn, and he lays it out before the Philippians and before us. And I just want to read a couple of the verses again. Verses 6 to 8, it says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is amazing. Like this Jesus, the one who always was and always will be God, the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. He chose to come and live as a man and as a servant. He could have come, you know, as a victorious king. He could have come on a stallion and had a crown of gold on his head and sat on a throne. But instead, he came as a humble servant, riding on a donkey, the crown of thorns piercing his brown, hanging on a cross. That's Jesus. That's the Jesus that those of us who call ourselves Christians in the room, that we follow, that we worship. And there's a very interesting word right in the middle of that hymn. I don't know if you spotted it, but it's this word, this, servant. This word, servant. And you might not like that word. I would say, don't blame me, blame Paul. He wrote it. <laughs> Point your accusations there. But, but maybe actually blame Jesus. Because that's how Jesus spoke about himself. In Matthew 20, verse 28, he says this of himself, even the Son of Man, that's how he spoke about himself, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, this is how Jesus lived, pouring out his life in servanthood through his life and through his death. And, you know, theologians have spent kind of millennia pouring over the minutiae of this hymn and, and kind of looking at the different words. And there's some great commentaries. And if you're interested in that, go and have a look. But, but as I was reading this passage, I realized Paul's not using it as a Bible study. Paul's using it firstly as worship to point to Jesus, but then he's secondly using it as an example. Because before this glorious hymn, he sets it up like this. Again, we heard it in the reading, Philippians 2.5. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Or in a different translation, you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. What Paul's saying here is if, if Jesus came to serve, since Jesus came to serve, and since those of us in the room who've called ourselves Christians, we've received that service, that freedom, that forgiveness, then, then our call to is to go and serve. Our call too is to go out in the church family and in our neighborhoods and in the nations and to keep on serving. That's our calling. That's our mission and purpose. And as we serve, Paul draws out kind of two attributes within this passage, two key characteristics for us to serve with. And coincidentally, if you want to say it that way, they both have the letter U in them and the letter I in them. And uh, I'll let you guess which one comes first. So here we go. Number one, let's serve with unity. Let's serve with unity. You know, when I was at school, I was a pretty cool kid. I'm sure you can believe that quite quickly. And the height of coolness was I played trumpet. And I think we've got a little picture here of me in my cool days. Here we go. There we are. There's little Chris. And um, sometimes I played it here like by myself, just studying intently. And I kind of practiced sometimes practice on my own. But, but when you get the best sound out of a trumpet is when you bring it together in an orchestra. It's when you bring it together with other instruments, with the wind instruments and the string instruments, and then the guy who just sits there with a the cymbal just waiting, waiting, waiting. 
and he gets in. That's the glorious sound of an orchestra. And when I hear the word unity, that's what I think of. I think of an orchestra. I think of different people with different skills and gifts and passions. And sometimes we might not understand them, like who would want to play bassoon. But they come together and they create this glorious sound, playing together with a common purpose. And Paul speaking to the church of Philippi, and I would say God speaking to us, is calling us into greater and greater union. Philippians verse two, chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Make my joy complete. I love that. We can make Paul's joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. You know, we sometimes read the Bible... Because we often read it on our own, we read it in the morning or in the evening, we can easily read it with like this individualistic mindset. And you know, there is a truth that, that God loves you personally, that he wants a relationship with you, that he wants to call you into your purpose. But actually, when we read Philippians, we can't get away from the fact that the call is to us together, to you, plural. He says, look at this, be, be like-minded, the same love, one in spirit, one mind. He's calling us together. He's calling us into unity together. This is not an individualistic faith. This is a together faith of unity. And what Paul's not saying in this, which again, sometimes if you kind of head down one road, he's not saying be exactly the same. He's not talking about uniformity. He's not saying, actually, you all need to look exactly the same, like an attack of the clones, because how many of you know that one Chris is enough? Yeah, <laughs> one Paul was enough. He's not saying you need to look the same, because that's ridiculous. I mean, look around you. Those of us in our campuses, like, we're different. Aren't we? We're different ages gathered together in unity. We're different backgrounds gathered together in unity. Different demographics gathered together. Different skin colors gathered together in unity. And that's what Paul applauds and that's what Jesus applauds. He's not saying you have to look like the person on your left or your right. He's saying you will look different. And that's beautiful. But come together in unity of heart, in unity of spirit. And, and Paul points to a source of this unity. And again, he points to Jesus. He starts this passage, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, our unity together, what brings together this eclectic group of people is Jesus. It's his love for us. It's his love poured out on the cross. It's the common sharing in the spirit. That word common sharing, we've heard it before, koinonia, partnership. What brings us together is nothing other than the love of Jesus. And, and I just want to take a moment just to kind of celebrate and commend us and you as a church family for the unity that we've seen over 35 plus years now. In one city, Peterborough to start, then in many cities, different ages, different nationalities, like we are united. But I believe Paul in this sense would say, remember the unity of Jesus and keep going, keep going, keep going. Because your unity has a source, but it also points towards something. It also points towards something. And, as I was looking through this passage, I read it again and again and again, and there's so much in it, but, but I noticed something really interesting in it. There's a word that keeps cropping up again and again, and it's the word mind. Paul says this, complete my joy by being of the same mind, being of full accord and of one mind. And then he says, have this mind. And this word mind, it's the same word in Greek, phroneo. And, and it, I kind of feel like Paul is a bit of a master of suspense here. I mean, we've, we've read the whole thing, so we know the punchline already. But the Philippians, you've got to think, they're there, they're listening to it being read to them. And so they're here, and Paul's going, he says, be of the same mind. And they're like, okay, cool, be of the same mind. And then he goes and talks about something else. And they're like, oh, what mind? And then he comes back, and he's like, be of one mind. And they're like, okay, cool, one mind, what does that mean? And then he goes off, talks about something else. And then he comes back, and he says this, have this mind. 
It's kind of like if you're telling a friend about a film you've seen and you're like, I went to see a great film, and then you don't tell them the name. You're just like teasing them. And then you're like, it's a great part in the film, you don't tell them the name. And then eventually you're like, this is the film. And again, what is the mind that Paul is calling us to? It's the mind of Christ, the mind of Jesus, the servant. That's what he is calling us to. Unity in mind, unity of Jesus is unity of the servant. You know, church is not a restaurant. Some of us might like that to be at times, but it's not a restaurant. What I mean by that, it's not down to just a small group of people to prepare a meal and a small group of people to bring it out and all the rest of us just come and enjoy. Now, there's a unity of one mind of service. Church is not a sports match where there's a team on the field and a small group of coaches and we all stand in the stands going, yeah, well done, or boo, like do better. No, that's, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying we are unity together. We're that orchestra coming together where every single person has a part to play. Every single person brings what they have because if there's one person taken out of unity, we are no longer united. It takes every single one of us. And there are so many things that we can do to contend for unity, and we're going to be talking about them as we go through Black History Month. It's about our hearts, it's about our minds, it's about our words, it's about our actions. But but I believe Paul would say there is no better way of contending for unity than by serving together alongside your sisters, alongside your brothers in Christ who look different than you, think different than you, act different than you. And yes, at times that might cause a rub, but that's the beauty of the gospel that we still stand in unity. So that's the first thing I believe Paul would say to us today. Let's serve with unity. And the second is this, let's serve with humility. Let's serve with humility. You know, humility is the heart of servanthood. And in, in kind of culture today, we don't really like the word humility, really. And that's okay, because in the Roman culture, they didn't either, because humility doesn't help you make it. Humility doesn't help you get noticed. Humility doesn't help you get the promotion. Humility doesn't help you achieve your goals, unless your goal is to look more like Jesus. Unless your goal is to look more like Jesus, because it says of him that he humbled himself and became a servant. And the way of Jesus is the path of humility. And, you know, there's three kind of traps that we can get ourselves into when we talk about humility. Or three traps I can get myself into. The first one is this. When we start thinking about humility, and when we start trying to aim towards humility, we can end up in this kind of paradoxical place where we become slightly proud of our humility. So you can imagine, like, in life groups this week, it's like, how's your humility? It's like, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good at this humility. I think I'm an eight out of 10 at humility. And, and it's a danger and it's a trap, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't aim for it. That's one trap. The second trap is what I'm going to call the, it wasn't me, it was God trap. Any of you ever heard this or, or done this when maybe it's like, oh, hey, hey, Simon, great playing on the keys today. I thought that was brilliant. It's like, it wasn't me, it was God. And uh, Simon and Ben wouldn't do that, of course. But, but sometimes when I hear that, I'm thinking like, it wasn't that good. Like, if that was God, then I'm so sorry. But um, it would have been slightly different. And that's not humility. Yes, it's about giving God the glory, but it's also about receiving the encouragement for ourselves, going, thank you. And then we turn and we pour it back to Jesus. That's the second trap. The third trap I'm going to call the, the humble worm trap, which is where we just go around our whole lives thinking, I'm not worthy. I'm no good. I've got nothing to bring. I've got nothing to give. Woe is me. And, and we think that's humility, but it's not. It's actually a bit of a twisting of pride because do you notice the word, I'm so low, I'm so, it's still pointing towards me. 
And the heart of humility is not about me, it's not about I, but it's about you. In this phrase that's been kind of given to many people, including C.S. Lewis, but I think it might be Rick Warren's phrase, so I'm going to give him the credit. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is thinking more of others. As Paul puts it in Philippians 2 verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's not about me. It's not about I. Look at those words, selfish, ambition, vain, conceit. All of them don't have the letter U. They've all got I. It's all about me. And, and I know in life, it can be so easy to make it about me. So easy to make it about I. So easy to do it for the likes when we go through life. I have a bit of an interesting uh, relationship with social media. I'm a bit of a like binge and then I just ignore it for a month. And then I'll have a week and then I'll ignore it for a month. But one of the things I've realized about social media is I can sometimes be a little bit hypocritical on it. Like I remember um, a few Christmases ago, I think it was probably the 2nd of December. The reason I know that is because the 1st of December, we put up our tree. And uh, we did a really good job, teamwork together, got a good tree. And then 2nd of December, I was out and I was like, maybe I'll take a photo of my tree and I'll post it on social media. I was like, why don't I do that? And then I was like, no, Chris, you don't need to do that. You don't need the likes. You don't need people to see your tree. So what I did instead is I went on a walk and I took a photo of a random tree and I posted it on social media saying, I'm not going to take a photo of my tree. I'm going to take a photo of this tree because I don't need the likes. And then an hour later, I went to look to see how many likes (laughs) that post had got. It's like the glorious irony. It's so easy to do it for the likes in social media. So easy to do it for the likes in work. You know, when we're in a meeting and we make a comment, Sometimes it's actually helpful to stop and check ourselves and go, was I actually doing that from a heart to serve and to bring the best? Or was I doing it because I'm like, hey, look at me. I've got a great idea. Let me bring that. At home, we can do it for the likes, even in some of the serving things. Again, it's like, I'm going to take the bins out. It's like, look at, look at, I'm taking the bins, everyone. I'm taking the bins. It's like, we can do it for the likes. We can do it in uni for the likes when we go along with our friends. And actually, we think, maybe I don't want to do this, but I'm doing it so that I will be liked. And we can even do it in church. We can even do it in church when we gather with our groups and we have that deeply profound theological thought and we just need to bring it so people know how deeply profound and theological we are. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but what's, where's the heart? It's so people will notice you or so people will notice Jesus. So people will notice you or so that people will actually learn and grow. And, you know, we, I think we're all susceptible to this. I don't think there's a single one of us here who never lives in any selfish ambition or vain conceit, but Paul's encouragement to us is do nothing from that place. I find that so challenging. Do nothing, leave it at the door and come with humility. Come with humility. It's a heart attitude, but it also leads to action. It also leads to action. Verses three to four, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Don't look to your own interests. Don't look to I, but look to you. You know, I love these badges that we have in Kingsgate, these here to serve badges that some of our teams wear. And, uh, you know, every week we have hundreds of people across all of our Kingsgate church family who wake up, grab their tea or their coffee, get ready, and then they put on their badge or appropriate other item of uniform, snazzy kids' T-shirts, they're the way to go. But they put on this badge and they come to serve. You know, every week we have people who sacrifice sleep so that they can come and they can unload vans and they can set up chairs and they can set up tables and they can get things ready so that we can have a lion and come to church. 
Every week, our kids team and our youth team, they miss out on the message so that they can share the message of good news and hope to our next generation. Every week, we have people during the week who give up time to lead life groups, who give up time to serve in our community action projects. Every week, we have people who say, this is my heart. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. This is the beautiful humility that we're looking for. This is the heart of Jesus. Because you know Jesus, when he came to this earth as a servant, he didn't have to serve, but he chose to serve. Because serving is not always easy. It's not always fun, but Jesus chose to serve through his life. He chose again and again to pour himself out for the crowds. When he was tired and wanted to just get away by himself, but he saw their need, he chose to come and serve them and minister to them. When he was coming up towards the end of his life, in the the Last Supper, he chose to put a towel around his waist, to go low and to wash his disciples' feet, the ultimate act of service, or almost the ultimate act. Because on the morning of his death, he woke up, and he knew he could have avoided it. He could have gone a different way. He could have gone away from his destiny of humbling himself to obedience, even death on the cross, but he said, no, I'm here to serve. And you know, whenever we find serving hard, Let's remember the cross. Let's remember what Jesus went to, because I don't always want to serve. I remember a couple of weeks ago, we were here on a Monday, and uh, Martha, Martha had to go, and she asked me to do something. And I, I, I kind of wear my emotions on my face, and I reckon my face, because I was, I was a little bit busy, I had some things to do, I reckon my face was like this. <sighs> you know that, like, oh, I'm about to preach on serving. And you've asked me to do something and I really don't want to do it. There are times when we don't want to. There's times when I wake up on a Sunday morning and I want to come late and I want to sit at the back and I want to leave early and I just want to enjoy and be served. And in those times, I remember Jesus and I remember the cross that he chose to serve. Like Jesus, we have a choice. Every week, every day as we go through life, we have a choice. You know, the only things I don't like about these badges I don't think we wear them fully at the right times. Because obviously we wear them when we're on certain teams and we're here and we're like, I'm here to serve. This is my week. Like, this is my week to serve. I'm here to serve. My one in four, I'm here to serve. Here I am. I'm serving. And I'd actually like to propose that if our identity is to look like Jesus, to follow Jesus, the servant, then we're actually here to serve every week. We're actually here to serve every week. Now, what I'm not saying by that necessarily is that you need to be on team, on rota every week. I know that we do have people here in Peterborough and Cambridge and Leicester and online. We've got people who every week they want to come and serve. And you have those conversations like, how many weeks have you served? They're like, eight. And it's like, do you want to take one off? No, no, I really don't. I really want to serve. And Sometimes we have to tell them, actually, you know what, this time we've got some other people, they want to serve too, why don't you give them a chance? But, but I think that brings joy to Paul and it brings joy to Jesus when they come every week. But I'm not necessarily saying that, that you have to be on a road to every week. But if you're not one, part of one of our serving teams, then maybe that's the place to start. I tried to think of another way to say this, but I just can't, so I'm going to kind of ask for your forgiveness in advance. But to say we want to look like Jesus, but that we're not willing to serve... It's just incompatible. It just doesn't work. And I know in certain cases there are reasons and situations why we can't serve, but in the majority, like saying that, it's like saying we want to get fit, but we want to keep eating pizza, not going to the gym, not running, doing whatever we want. I can certainly relate to that one. Being on one of our serving teams gives you the opportunity to go low, to learn service, to model the heart of Jesus, and to grow in the heart of Jesus. Another thought I want to put out there while it's a little bit quiet here in the campuses is um, 
Those of us who serve one week in four, firstly, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for taking that step and coming and saying, you know what, I want to serve. But just a thought, I'll just throw it out there, I'll leave it with you. Two in four is 50-50. Same amount of time serving as being served. I'll leave that one with you. But you know, for all of us, every single one of us, I believe there's something that whenever we wake up, whenever we're coming to church, because Paul is writing to the church here, there is an importance of serving in our community and there's other preachers and there's other things about that. But Paul is writing to the church, I believe every week we should come and we should put on our badge, not actually put on the badge because that might confuse the team leaders, but we should put on our badges. That when we're in the car, when we're on the bike, when we're walking, we say, you know what, God, I'm coming to church to serve. Because Jesus, that's what you did. What does that mean? Well, it means come early. It means come early. Why? Because there are people who need you before the service. You know, have you ever noticed that when guests come to church, they tend to come early? They tend to be there. And and they've had a wonderful welcome from the welcome team and the car park team, but then they kind of sit around. They need you there to invite them into this community. You know, our worship team needs you here early. Do you know how demoralizing it is to stand up here with the guitar and go, welcome, everyone. When I say everyone, I mean 10% of you. Here we go, here we go. No, we need to be here early to encourage the worship team. Yes, they're here to serve us, but we're also here to serve as well. It means we come early. It means when we come we to worship, we actually worship. And again, there are times when it's hard and, and there are times when it's like, I just don't feel like I can. But you know, if you're feeling that, then chances are someone around you is feeling that as well. And they will be inspired and they will be encouraged. If in that moment you can go, God, I'm going to give you this sacrifice of praise and I'm going to lift my hands and I'm going to lift my head. That ripples through a congregation, that type of service, coming together in worship. And it also means that when we finish the service, wherever we are in our campuses, that when we go out into the atrium, we've got our eyes out. For those who need serving, for those who need someone to draw alongside and say, hey, you're, are you new here? And they might go, no, I've been here for four years. And that's, then you say, oh, I'm so sorry. That. I'm, I'm Chris, it's nice to meet you. There are people that need us. You know, church is a great place to make friends. But I'd like to propose the atrium is not the place to meet with your friends. That's lunch after, that's during the week. The atrium is the place to go and serve, to go and welcome others in, to keep your eyes out. Every week, we're here to serve. And can you imagine what it would look like if we all caught this, wherever we are, thousands of people, every single week, like I say, this is in our culture. It was in the Philippian culture, but Paul's calling them to more. Imagine if every week we said, I'm here to serve. Imagine what our teams would look like. If every week, rather than like, are we going to have enough people here? It's like, we've got twice the number of people we need. We're going to have a great time, people. We're welcoming. We've got people everywhere. We're gathering them everywhere. Imagine what our hearts would look like. If every week we came and said, you know what, I'm going to serve with unity. I'm going to serve with humility. Imagine the space that we would create in our campuses to launch new services, to launch new initiatives. If we each stepped up and said, I'm going to bring what I have to this church community, to this church family. Imagine what it would look like to guests who turn up, wanting to know if, because we follow Jesus, do we look any different? And they see us going, come in, welcome, I'm here to serve. And then imagine what it would look like as we go back out of here back into our homes, our communities, our colleges, our workplaces. Not with the physical badge, but with that metaphorical badge saying, I'm here to give my life for you. Imagine the change that would make. And imagine the glory that God would get. Because this passage and the hymn, it ends with glory. I just want to invite the worship team back up. Philippians 2, 9 to 11, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, that's our end goal. 
As we serve, we grow in humility. We foster unity, but our end goal is the glory, the only one who deserves it all, that every knee would bow and every tongue could confess. And it's going to take every single one of us. So wherever we are, we're going to respond now. And I want to encourage you. Why don't you stand if you're able here in the room, in our campuses, online. And I wonder, what is it that the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you about as I've been sharing? We're just going to take a little moment of quiet now. And you know, maybe he's been speaking about something in our hearts. Maybe he's been speaking about something in our actions. Maybe he's just been speaking to you and saying, you know what? You've never received my service. You've never received what I came. And actually you're here today or in one of our campuses and you want to give your life to Jesus. We're just going to take just 30 seconds. You might just want to close your eyes, just engage in this moment. Holy Spirit, what is it you're calling us to do? Individually and as a community, come now, come speak, we pray.